the subject. It could be history, psychology, sociology, music, marketing, accounting, physics, medicine, law, architectural, theology. It could be the subject line in an email. It is the essence of what the email is about. If you uh, send me an email and there's nothing in the subject line, it goes automatically into my spam filter. I never look at it and it gets deleted 30 days later because I don't trust emails that don't have uh, something in the subject line. Subject can be a noun. It can be a verb. It can be an adjective. It can be an adverb. You can have the subject of a sentence and accordingly, you can have a subject and a predicate. And for those of you that need a grammar lesson, the subject is the something, okay? And the predicate is the something about the something. So the ability to change the subject It's the biological trait most distinctive in the family gender in my house. The ability to change the subject. Not sure that that's actually a clinical definition, but you get my point. The subject of a documentary, of an investigation, the subject of a painting, the subject of a news cycle dressed in purple, talented beyond belief, at times obscure and content to be out of the limelight. A desert ascetic, some might say. Willing to be misunderstood to fulfill his destiny. Dedicated to his craft compassionate even when it was anonymous, and when he left, far too soon for most, an empty spot in anyone's heart who knew him just a little, perhaps even a sense of wanting one more conversation. Did I mention he wears purple? Did I mention he has a name only known to himself? Our text today is found in Revelation chapter 1. Now, you're going to have to get ready because we're going to do what we did last week. We're going to go, okay, a couple of different times, okay? So you're going to want this book, okay, and you're going to want like that so it sticks, so you can move quickly, okay? We're going to need to move quickly. All right, Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the verse we've been on for a couple weeks now, and basically we know that the word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis, okay? And Beale would argue, okay, you can translate the revelation of Jesus Christ any number of ways. You can translate it the apocalypsis, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You can translate it the revelation, apocalypsis, by Jesus Christ, or you could translate it, the Apocalypsis, Revelation, about Jesus Christ. All three are allowed in the Greek. All three are allowed by the text itself. But make no mistake about it. It's Jesus. It's about Jesus. When we read Revelation, it's tempting to think it's about the end of the world. It's tempting to think it's about a number 666. It's tempting to think it's about crazy-looking creatures, lions and tigers and bears and four-headed creatures. It's tempting to even think that it's about us. It's not. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. If you want to understand what something is about, Look who is standing at the end. It's a challenge that we face, especially based on where we live. We have the ability to make so much of life about us. Perhaps you saw the new cruise ship. It is by Norwegian Cruise Lines, okay? It is called the Escape, okay? And it has the capacity to put 4,200 of your best friends on it course, who would want 4,200 best friends? So that's not the point. What's the point is within the 4,200 person cruise ship, you can, for roughly three times what you would pay for a normal stateroom, be exclusive. 
Never mind that you're already floating on a boat with someone catering to your every whim and giving you as much food as you could possibly eat. And then beyond that, you can also pay three times as much for a normal stateroom so that you get a key card, gold key card, access to a place called the Haven, in which only you and 275 other people can be in that spot. No crowds, no lines, white linen tablecloth service, a concierge dedicated to your absolute every whim. Sounds cool, doesn't it? If I had the money, I'd do it. But it's reflective, okay? It's reflective of a culture in which we get to say, it's about me. It's about what I want. If I have enough money, I can pay to get the very best. And it's a difficult thing to break because a careful reading of the Bible is that it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. What would our lives look like? What would our lives look like if this week we changed just one thing, one thing only? Not asking you to totally change, not asking myself to totally change my life. Just change one thing that reflects the simple notion that it's about Jesus and not about me. What would our lives look like? Would you love your wife more? Would you drink less? Would you work less? Would you show love more? Would you live like you were loved? Would you love like you are loved? What would our lives look like if we changed one thing to reflect the simple notion that it is about Jesus and not about us? Being an introduction, it'd be wise to have a discussion about what does Jesus look like. We all probably have an image, right? Some of us have a little baby Jesus, okay, a little eight-pound, three-ounce, or six-ounce, whatever, baby Jesus. Maybe a young carpenter, the desert ascetic, uh, on a cross, the crucifix. Perhaps you have an image of Jesus, Jesus that has kind eyes, a laugh, long brown hair, certainly blue eyes, right? Because our Jesus are Scandinavian Jesuses. A beard? Perhaps. John records in vibrant color an image of Jesus that is decidedly different and invites careful consideration. So listen, read with me if you want, or just listen, and, and we'll get into it. We're going to start Revelation 1, and we're going to start in verse 12. We've read the text before, so it should be familiar. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his waist. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters." In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Flip over a page. 1031. 
Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. A warrior priest and a seven-eyed lamb. Now, when the time is right, we will explore this more. But suffice it to say, this is probably not the image of Jesus that most of us have, certainly not the image that we grew up with. Jesus is pictured as this warrior priest, and then a chapter or two later is pictured as this lamb that was killed, but a lamb that was killed that has seven eyes and seven horns and is no longer dead is fully alive. Now, certainly we'll explore more deeply into this, but seven is a critical number in the Bible, the number of perfection. Horn is an uh, Old Testament image of power. Eyes are eyes that see figurative for the power and the presence of the Spirit in all of its fullness in Jesus' life. And this, this last picture of a lamb who was killed with seven horns and seven eyes permeates the rest of the text. It is this lamb, this lamb that executes everything else, this image. It's this lamb that is what? Flip down just a little bit, verse 9, read it with me. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And then later in 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This lamb that dominates the rest of the book of Revelation. It is this lamb in whose blood makes a robe white. It is this lamb who has a very special book, a book of life in which you want to find your name. It is this lamb that gets married to the church in the most festive wedding celebration ever experienced, even better than 1999. And and again, it's a festival to which you want an invitation. There is a third image, chapter 19. Starting in verse 11, page 1040. Hope you did your taxes. Did you do your taxes? You can still file an extension, but if you didn't pay your taxes on time, if you're going to file an extension, you still need to pay. Otherwise, you're going to owe the penalty and fees. 1040, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. That's cool. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. The capitalization should give us a little bit of a hint. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself, long before Prince. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Greek scholars, Lagos. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. 
and on his robe and on his thigh. I have this image, okay, because I like cycling, of, of just like a massive, just vain thigh, okay? So there's this gentleman by the name of, what's his name again? He's called Mr. Thigh, Robert Fortzman, okay? He is a uh, German who is an Olympic caliber trike track cyclist, okay? His thighs are 34 inches around, 34 inches each thigh. I mean, the guy has to stand like this, okay? 34 inches, that's like massive thigh. Okay, so on this massive thigh, just thickly veined, just popping with muscle and power and strength, is written the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who are we talking about? Jesus. This is how the revelation to John about by Jesus describes the central figure in the drama. The third thing that we need to talk about Jesus is a job description. So let's start back at the beginning one more time, and we're going to fly through the book of Revelation, all right? Do we have time to do this? Yep, we do. Okay, good. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Again, you're going to have to, because we're going to do even more flipping. Okay, the next text verse we're going to is 18, and then chapter 6, verse 1. Okay, but we're going to read these first. If you want to read with me, knock yourself out. Verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming, coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Then verse 18. Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Then 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And then over 717. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their life eyes. Again, reemphasizing verse 1 of chapter 8, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal. And then 1615, so a couple chapters away. Behold, page 1037, behold, I am coming, verse 15 of chapter 16. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeps his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And then 1714, one page over, 1038. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. And then 197. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And then 2123. You don't have to flip page, just go to the other side. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it its light and its lamp is the lamb. And then 2212. Behold, I am coming soon. 
bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. We can read all of these and come up with the following paragraph, a job description, which is in no way meant to be exhaustive. I am not attempting to say everything that there is to say about Jesus. But it is Jesus' job to die, to rule the world, to love and free his people from their sin, to make this group, the church, a kingdom that will rule and in ruling will enhance God's reputation. It is Jesus' job to defeat and control death and Satan and to come again. It is Jesus' job to open the seals that brings the world to a point in which it can be fully redeemed, to be a shepherd, to come as a thief, to leave his mark on the foreheads of those who follow him, to make war, to win war, to marry his bride, his followers, to maintain a meticulous record of those who follow him and are in his book of life, to be a light to the city of God that is brighter than the sun, to repay those who follow him, who know him, and to repay those who don't, to be the start and the end of everything that needs to be known about history. It is the job of Jesus to be the start and culmination of everything the Father has planned, everything that the Father hopes for, everything that a human like you and me could wish for. So what do we do with all this? This last week, Prince Rogers Nelson died at age 57. And everyone's wearing purple, right? I mean, everyone's got purple on. 3M's got purple on. There's bridges with purple on. Target has purple on. We even have purple roses. Except for GM. Do you see the General Motors ad? General Motors ad, okay, it's a black piece of paper, okay? And in the bottom of it, there is the rear view of a 1963 split-window Corvette. A red split-window Corvette. And on the top, in plain white font, is a simple message. Baby, that was much too fast. 1958-2016. Now, whether or not you like Prince or you don't like Prince... We probably won't ever cover many of his songs here at Timberwood Church. You can understand the sentiment. Doesn't it seem like life just gets faster and faster? A couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of doing Dave Rydberg's memorial service. I have rarely intersected with a man or a woman, a human being, who was so comfortable with his life and death in the hands of his Savior. There was no fear.
Each time I do a funeral, I have the opportunity to reflect upon my own life. And this was the first funeral that I remember, maybe there were others, but I remember that all of the children were younger than me. And then I start doing the math, because Dave died at 76. Well, actually, Dave started life at 76. But, you know, I'm like pushing that 50 number, right? So that means I'm two-thirds done, and I'm thinking, where did the first 50 go so quickly? And doesn't it seem like life speeds up? Because it does. It does. Now, please understand, the subject of our intro and our time tonight, today, is not a gifted musician. John 19.5 says, Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. The subject of our intro and our time today is Jesus. And as our lives speed up, so does the day when we will meet him again. And what will that day be like for you and me? A day full of wonder and anticipation of all the things that we've hoped for to come true? Or will it be a day of dread because, quite frankly, our lives were much more about us than they were about Jesus? And I'm not trying to guilt you. For goodness sakes, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. What I am trying to do is represent as best and in as compelling a way possible the need to take this book seriously and the need that each and every one of us have to be connected to this Jesus. And so I wear purple, not because of Prince, but because the Son of the Father, Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, you could say to us, ball's in your court, guys, because it is. You have laid it out with clarity. You have set in motion a plan that is certain. How will we respond is the only question of import today. Enable us, O great God, to live with you and your Son and your Spirit. Enable us to cry out to you and your Son and your Spirit, asking for your Son to be our Savior, aspiring to have him lead our lives. Allow us to follow 
all of our days and to welcome the day, yet future, when we will see you face to face. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.